Blog Talk Radio. to the live internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. I am Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. This is PGN Prophetic Grace Network, and today we are talking about the Marriage Supper Prophecy. The Book of Revelation has 12 statements of prophecy by my analysis. What do we mean by statements of prophecy? We mean visions, documentaries of future realities that John the Revelator was shown when he was called up to heaven when he was on the Isle of Patmos. John the Revelator lived on this present earth in his day. And as he lived on the earth, he had a supernatural experience He connected with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He received seven prophetic words for the seven churches that existed at that time on this present earth. And then after Jesus shared with him, after he he heard the words of Jesus, is what I mean to say, after he heard uh, the words of Jesus, Chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, 100% of those words uh, are verbatim, the words of Jesus Christ. Then his experience with Jesus continued, and he was called up to heaven. That's Revelation chapter 4. When he was called up to heaven, he saw some very interesting things. Imagine all of a sudden you're transported to New York City or you're transported to Lagos, Nigeria, or Mexico City, or Vancouver, Canada. You'd see some very interesting things. And so when John the Revelator was called up, he was transported supernaturally to a real physical location, present heaven, and he shares with us exactly what he saw. So that's Revelation chapter 4. An angel of the Lord was instructed to share with John the Revelator documentaries. So they are often referred to as visions, but these were not visions that he caused himself to experience. These were visions external to himself, created by an omniscient God, and shown to him by an angel of the Lord. It's interesting, uh, some of these these moving pictures with sound, today we would call moving pictures with sound, we wouldn't call them visions, we would call them movies. But in John's time here on the earth, they didn't have that language. But today we would call what John the Revelator uh, experienced movies. 
And because these movies are not fictionalized stories, but actual events, we would say this is specifically a documentary. So John the Revelator was shown a series of documentaries. Nine of those documentaries are about events leading up to and focusing on primarily the periods of the wrath of Satan and the wrath of God culminating with the Battle of Armageddon. So the first nine documentaries John the Revelator was shown are the Seven Seals Prophecy, the Seven Trumpets Prophecy, the 1,260 Days Prophecy, the 666 Antichrist Prophecy, the 144,000 First Fruits Prophecy, the Earth Reaped Prophecy, the Seven Plagues Prophecy, the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy, and the prophecy we're going to talk about today, the Marriage Supper Prophecy. So these nine statements of prophecy are essentially nine documentaries. They're referred to, in some translations, as statements of prophecy because John the Revelator was instructed to write down everything he saw. What does that mean? Write down what he saw, uh, write down the external visions, write down the documentaries that the angel of the Lord uh, showed him. He did not have the benefit of the technology that we have today. So if you or I experienced this, and we were able to take with us our cell phone or our tablet or our laptop or our video camera, if we were able to take any of those devices with us on a trip to present heaven, perhaps we'd be able, uh, we'd be permitted to record what we actually saw. He had only the benefit of the technology that existed at that time. What was that? A writing utensil and uh, something to write on. So the angel of the Lord, knowing the limitations of the technology that existed at that time, um, showed him the visions, and John the Revelator was given the instruction to write down everything he saw. And he did that faithfully. So he wrote down every external vision, every moving picture with sound, every movie, every documentary. So I'm using uh, different words to describe the same thing, right? So he wrote down using words what he saw in these documentaries. And so these words that are written down in the book of Revelation are referred to at the end of the book as statements of prophecy. Now, the first nine documentaries, in other words, the first nine statements of prophecy, again, are about the events leading up to and primarily focusing on the wrath of Satan as well as the wrath of God, which culminates with the Battle of Armageddon. The last three statements of prophecy are the Millennial Reign Prophecy, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, the Dead Judged Prophecy, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, and the New Earth Prophecy, Revelation chapter 21 to verse 5 of chapter 22. These three documentaries, the Millennial Reign documentary, the Millennial Reign 
documentary, the Dead Judge documentary, and the New Earth documentary. These focus on the events that occur subsequent to Jesus Christ fighting and winning the Battle of Armageddon. So what happens on this present earth after Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon? Well, we hear about those events in the Millennial Reign documentary, the Dead Judge documentary, and the New Earth documentary. So we're going to go into those three documentaries in October, November, and December of this year. So I'm inviting you, I'm encouraging you, I'm uh, exhorting you to seriously consider and to plan, if the Lord uh, leads you this way, to plan to spend time with me and us here on PGN in October, November, and December of this year. So you can listen to the live Internet broadcast. That's on Sundays, 12 noon Texas time, 1 p.m. Eastern time, or on Thursdays, or both. On Thursdays, we're on at 11 a.m. Eastern time. That's 10 a.m. Texas time. And in October, we'll be talking exclusively about the Millennial Reign Prophecy, the Millennial Reign Documentary, if you will. What happens for the first thousand years of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this present earth? Then in October, we'll be talking about the Dead Judge Prophecy. What happens at the second resurrection? Did you know there's a second resurrection? There's a second resurrection. John the Revelator refers to it in the Millennial Reign Prophecy. And it's described in the dead judge prophecy. What happens at the great white throne judgment? In December, we'll be talking about what happens after the end of this world. The end of the world is coming, but if you are a truth seeker and a believer, that's something to look forward to. Because after the end of this world, there's the beginning of life in the eternities of eternities. There's the beginning of life on a new earth where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more grief, no more tears, no more death. Hallelujah. That's an awesome and amazing reality that is soon coming to consider. We'll be talking about it in December. What does the book of Revelation reveal about what happens after the end of the world? The end of the world is the beginning of the new earth and the new heavens and the experience of eternal life with Jesus Christ and God the Father living with you and with me, with every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life on the new earth. We're getting a new body, a glorified, perfected, peak performance body free of the vestiges of the curse, and we're getting a new earth perfected, glorified, free of the vestiges of the curse. That's coming after the first resurrection, after the millennial reign, after the great white throne judgment. So we're going to be talking about the new earth documentary in the book of Revelation, in December of 2023, today let us talk about the 
rider of the white horse. Today we're going to talk about the rider of the white horse and the reality of what is happening when the rider of the white horse leaves heaven and comes to this present earth. Who is the rider of the white horse and what is he doing? Who is he and what is he doing? So the the phrase the white horse appears three times in the Bible. So I'm on BibleGateway.com, a great site uh, to see various translations of the Holy Bible and to uh, do searches on different terms. And so I'm looking at where does the white horse appear in the Bible? And it appears three times in the book of Revelation. All three instances of the phrase the white horse appears uh, appear in the book of Revelation. Today we're going to be talking about the marriage supper prophecy. That is the prophecy that focuses on the battle of Armageddon. Before we get to that, let's see the first time that the white horse appears in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. So Revelation chapter 6, 2, that's the middle of the seven seals documentary, the seven seals prophecy, using different words to describe the same thing. So what's a documentary uh, communicated in words? It's a statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. So the seven seals documentary, chapter 6, verse 2, so we're in the seven seals prophecy, and here it is, it says, John the Revelator speaking to us, readers of the book of Revelation, and he says to us, I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. So here we're told that the white horse has a rider and that a crown is placed on the head of the rider and that this rider of the white horse wins many battles with an S, many battles with an S and gains, quote, the victory, end quote. So I noticed that it refers to many battles, but a singular victory. So the first time that the phrase the white horse is shared in the Holy Bible is in the seven seals prophecy. And we're told that the white horse has a rider who wins multiple battles, more than one, and gains the victory. Now, in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus Christ repeatedly refers to what it means for those who are victorious. In other words, those who live and die in Christ, those who inherit eternal life on the present earth and the new earth to come. Now we're going to move on with this in mind, with 
the knowledge that there is a rider of the white horse who, quote, gains, uh, who will, quote, gain the victory, end quote, and how does the rider of the white horse gain the victory as the result of winning many battles? And this rider wears a crown uh, on his head, and we're told that, quote, a crown was placed on his head. Now, an interesting question is, who placed the crown on his head? It doesn't tell us here, but that's an interesting question to consider. Who is worthy of placing a crown on the head of an individual? Okay, now let us continue. Let us continue. Now we are going to the marriage supper prophecy to unlock the secret of who is the rider of the white horse. Let us go to the marriage supper prophecy. Uh, The marriage supper prophecy is in chapter 19. It includes verses 6 to 21. The first five verses of chapter 19 are the end of the purple and scarlet prophecy. The marriage supper prophecy begins with verse 6, and it concludes with the end of chapter 19. Now let us go first to verses 11 to 16. So verses 11 to 16 of the Marriage Supper Prophecy focus on the rider of the white horse. So in the book of Revelation, we're already introduced to the white horse and the rider of the white horse in the seven seals prophecy. So that's the first documentary John the Revelator was shown. And we heard that verse. Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. Now we're going to Revelation chapter 19. We're in the prophecy focused on the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is mentioned in several documentaries in the book of Revelation, several statements of prophecy. For example, at the end of Revelation chapter 14, it's mentioned. But this is the documentary that gives us the most detail about the Battle of Armageddon. So if you want to know details about the Battle of Armageddon, where to see uh, an in-depth report on the events happening at the Battle of Armageddon, this is where to go. You are here. We are there. We are here together. We are going to hear it in its entirety. But first, Let us drill down to the rider on on the white horse. Verse 11 of chapter 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now notice, in the seven seals prophecy, we're not given the name of the rider. We're just told that John the Revelator looked up, and he saw a white horse standing there with a rider, and a crown was placed on the head of the rider, and he saw the rider go out to win many battles and gain the victory, but we never learn the identity of the rider of the white horse. 
In this statement of prophecy, we hear the identity of the rider of the white horse. So it says its rider was named faithful and true. Now, who is faithful and true? I think you know who it is, but let's continue. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now, it says a righteous war, no S. Earlier we're told that the rider of the white horse wins many battles and gains the victory. Here we're told the rider wages a righteous war. So this prophecy is not telling us about multiple battles that are being fought, but a singular war that is a righteous war. It is the war to end all wars. It's the final battle in a series of conflicts that have occurred. That final battle is the Battle of Armageddon. So the Battle of Armageddon is a righteous war. Now let's continue hearing about the rider on the white horse. Verse 12 says, His eyes, talking about the person whose name is faithful and true. Now we hear more about the identity of the rider of the white horse. It says, his eyes were like flames of fire. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, John the Revelator describes Jesus Christ and says his eyes are like flames of fire. And now we're told in Revelation chapter 19 that the rider on the white horse that his eyes were like flames of fire. Then it says in verse 12, his eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns. Now, in the seven seals prophecy, we're told that a crown was placed on the head of the rider of the white horse It didn't say that the writer had only one crown, but that John the Revelator saw a crown being placed on his head. Now we're told his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Then it says, a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. So he's named, his name is faithful and true, but he also has another name written on him. Okay, verse 13, continuing. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Let's make a checklist. What do we know about the identity of the rider of the white horse so far? His name is faithful and true. His eyes are like flames of fire. He has another name written on him that no one can understand except himself. In terms of what he's wearing, he has a head where he wears many crowns, and he wears a robe dipped in blood. Now, almost always when blood is discussed, it's talking about the blood of Jesus Christ, or the blood shed by those who lose the Battle of Armageddon. 
Now here it says, he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the word of God. So his name is faithful and true. His title is the word of God. Verse 14, the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So John the Revelator sees the white horse in heaven and the rider of the white horse in heaven. He describes to us the rider of the white horse, and now he tells us that the armies, so more than one army, now think about think about this world. So in this world, the United States has an army. Korea has an army. I'm using the word army, but some kind of military uh, force, right? They might call it something else. Canada has an army. Senegal has an army. Mexico has an army. So when uh, nations exist, they have uh, military forces in heaven there's more than one uh, military force. We're told that there are armies. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. So if they're following uh, the person whose name is faithful and true and the person whose title is the word of God, if they're following him, that means he has to be moving. He's he's going somewhere because they're following him. Now, where is he going? We're going to hear in a moment he's leaving heaven and he's coming to this present earth. So they are following him as he mounts his mode of transportation to the present earth. That's the white horse. And who's following him? Armies. And they have on their military gear. You know, when you go to fight in the military, there's a certain outfit that you wear. It's issued by uh, the leaders in the Army, perhaps it's the commanding officer. You don't just show up in your favorite dress or your favorite pants or your favorite shirt. You wear the outfit that's issued to you. Those in the armies of heaven are dressed, and they're dressed, is the finest of pure white linen. So if you're in the military in heaven, your outfit's not going to be shabby. It's going to be the best military outfit that ever existed, that can exist. So not only are they dressed in uh, linen, but it's pure white linen, and it's the finest of pure white linen. It's God's best for his armies. Now let's continue. Verse 15 says, from his mouth, talking about the rider of the white horse, from his mouth came a sharp sword. Let's pause there. So we already heard that he's wearing multiple crowns. He's wearing uh, his gear. His gear includes uh, a robe, dipped in blood, that's his outfit, I should say. 
And in terms of his gear, he has at least one weapon. This is the first time we're told about the weapon that the rider of the white horse is bringing to this righteous war. So we're told he wages a righteous war. We haven't heard about the war yet, but we're told he wages a righteous war. So we understand that's coming up in this documentary. We haven't heard the details about that yet. Right now we're hearing about him leaving heaven, who's following him, and what he looks like. So now we're told in terms of what he looks like, the rider of the white horse, that he has some gear. Now, if you know anybody who's been in the military or maybe you've been in the military, when they go out for operations, go with their gear. You never go out without your gear. Now, what's the gear of the rider of the white horse? It includes, quote, a sharp sword. Now, interestingly, the sharp sword, he doesn't pull it out uh, from the side of his thigh. So if I had a sharp sword, I think I would I would have it uh, on a belt and I would put it in a holster in the belt so I could pull it because I'm right-handed. I'd have it in a holster on my right side so I could pull it out with my right hand since I'm right-handed and I could get to it most quickly that way. That sounds fast and practical. But uh, the rider of the white horse has something better than that. He's able to operate this sharp sword from his mouth. He doesn't have to use his hands. He can operate this sharp sword from his mouth where the sharp sword is held. This is beyond science fiction. This is science fact. He has an amazing weapon, a sharp sword, and this sword comes from his mouth. What's the rest of verse 15? From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, in my mind, a sword is used, and perhaps if it's amazing, it can strike down one person. It's sharp enough. Now you can use it to strike down another person if needed. You know, if you're defending yourself in a righteous war, then you go to the third person. But this sharp sword, uh, it is sufficiently robust to strike down the nations. All right, let's continue. He will rule them with an iron rod. Now, that's weapon number two. That's uh, that's more gear that he has. Now, we're not told that he's traveling with the iron rod, but we're told that he will rule the nations with the iron rod. So whether he has in his possession at the time of him uh, traveling from heaven to the present earth, whether he has the iron rod on his person is not communicated here, but John the Revelator does communicate that he will rule them with an iron rod, suggesting that this is a weapon. So the sword is described as a sharp sword, and it's not a sword uh, that's going to play musical notes. It's a sword to strike. So Striking is an aggressive act. Striking is a behavior used uh, in a battle. So it's clear that a sharp sword refers to a weapon, iron rod. So it's a rod. A rod is 
often a weapon. It's described as iron. Iron is strong. And what's he going to do with the iron rod? He's going to rule with it. So uh, at a minimum, the iron rod is used to uh, assert authority. Whether that happens with an aggressive act or not is not communicated. But part of the gear that he has includes an iron rod. Whether the rider of the white horse is, uh, has on his person the iron rod is not communicated here. Let's continue. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, this is referring to what we're going to hear about later in this Marriage Supper documentary. It says he will release, that's an action, a behavior. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, the wrath of God includes the seven final plagues. So the seven plagues prophecy, Revelation chapters 15 and 16, the wrath of God begins after the wrath of Satan. It culminates, it's not limited to, but it culminates with the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is the righteous war referred to here in verse 11 of chapter 19. Now here we're, we're shown another secret. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. So this is a battle, the battle of Armageddon, the war waged in righteousness. It's a battle that's the result of the wrath of God the Father. So Jesus Christ is endowed with the authority to take out all five of God's enemies. We cannot transition to eternal life on the new earth until all five of God's enemies are destroyed. God revealed that to me last year. I've been talking about it ever since. Now, who are God's five enemies? In the order of their destruction. And what does it mean for uh, an enemy of God to be destroyed? The strategy of Jesus Christ to destroy God's enemy is the second death. What's the second death? That's eternal damnation. That's being thrown in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever, forever and ever, Gehenna. Gehenna is the lake of fire. That's the second death. So when a person dies, that's not destruction. In fact, the Bible refers repeatedly to being uh, dead as simply being asleep. You remember, you may remember, when uh, they said Lazarus is dead, and you remember when they talked about uh, in Matthew, the man comes to Jesus and says, uh, my daughter is sick, my daughter, and then they say, uh, can you come and heal her? And then people say, don't bother the master. She's already died. Don't bother him. And then Jesus comes and says, she's just asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew that the young girl had actually experienced the first death due to the curse, the ability to die. It was a part of her physical attributes, and she had, in fact, died. But Jesus said, she's just asleep. So they did not understand 
that experiencing the first death is merely being asleep. Now, what does it all mean? There's a first death, which is simply being asleep, and there's a second death. The first death is temporary. How do we know? We know that from Revelation chapter 14, the earth reaped prophecy when every believer is resurrected. Every person who has died, whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life, leaves sleep. What do I mean by that? The body leaves sleep and is reconstituted. Version 2.0, the peak performance body, the glorified body, the immortal body, is put together, and every believer puts it on. So the believers who are in heaven, their bodies are no longer asleep. Their bodies rise from the dead, and they put those bodies on, and they have them forever and ever. Those of us who are here at the time of the second coming, we transform in the blink of an eye to our peak performance, 100% free of DNA errors body, our glorified bodies. But the second death, which no person who participates in the first resurrection will ever experience the second death, the second death is permanent. So what am I saying? All five of God's enemies will be destroyed. In the order of their destruction, the Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, the children of Satan, and death itself. Now here, in the marriage supper prophecy, it says he will release, the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. A secret that we must know to understand the book of Revelation is that the wine press always, 100% of the time in the book of Revelation, is referring specifically to the war waged in righteousness. That's the Battle of Armageddon. 100% of the time in Revelation chapter 14, here in Revelation chapter 19, everywhere, that wine press is referred to is talking about specifically and only the Battle of Armageddon. So here we're told that the rider of the right horse is the person who's going to release the fierce wrath of God and not talking about uh, everything that's included in the wrath of God, but talking specifically about the Battle of Armageddon, it tells us that the rider of the white horse will release the fierce wrath of God, and specifically it will be like juice flowing from a wine press. Now I want to talk about this wine press for a second. I want to take us to understanding the rider of the white horse is what we're talking about. It says he's going to release the fierce wrath of God like juice flowing from a wine press. And in Revelation chapter 14, wine press is referred to twice. Let's hear it. Revelation 14 says, 14 verse 19, So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great wine press of God's wrath. What is this talking about? This is talking about the Battle of Armageddon. 
Let's hear it again. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. Then it says, the grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress. Let's pause there for a second. Blood flowed from the winepress. That means that blood will flow where? At the Battle of Armageddon. Blood will flow in Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. Who are the grapes? The grapes refer to those who are on the opposing side the rider of the white horse and the armies of heaven. These grapes will be trampled in the winepress. They will be trampled at the Battle of Armageddon, outside the city, and blood will flow from the winepress. In other words, blood will flow from the Battle of Armageddon. And it says here in Revelation chapter 14, in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. That is amazing. 180 miles long. Now, I want to see how long is Texas? How long is the state of Texas? Let's see if I can find that out. Eight hundred one miles. And let's see the state of New Jersey. One hundred fifty miles. So I don't live in New Jersey. I've been to New Jersey, but let's use New Jersey as a reference. The Battle of Armageddon, this war waged in righteousness, it's so big. It's so big that the carnage will include blood that flows from beginning to end in terms of distance from the beginning to the end of New Jersey and 30 miles beyond that, let's say, into New York. So the Battle of Armageddon is not in New Jersey and New York. It is in Israel. That's where it's going to happen. But here we're told some key details about what's going to happen in Israel. The wine press, the Battle of Armageddon is going to result in, at the end of this thing, there's going to be a stream of blood, not a stream of grape juice, a stream of blood that flows for about 180 miles. And it's as high as a horse's bridle. I read one place where it says a horse's bridle is about five feet. I don't know about that. Maybe Jeannie can tell us about that or others who, uh, maybe uh, Prophet Randy, people who know about a horse's bridle. I read uh, when I looked this up that a horse's bridle is about five feet. So that's a lot of blood. Now let's go back to the marriage supper prophecy. We just unlocked the secret about the wine press. So in verse 15, it says, talking about the rider of the white horse, he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, 
like juice flowing from a wine press. So we understand what they're talking about here. So what is John the Revelator telling us? He's telling us that at the Battle of Armageddon, blood is going to flow. And it's going to be the blood of the grapes. Who were the grapes? The enemies of God. These enemies of God and the fact that they were going to uh, lose their lives is referred to in the earth reap prophecy, talking about what happens to the wheat when the tares, what happens ultimately to the sheep and the goat, what happens ultimately to the good fish and the bad fish. We're told in that prophecy what happens for all of humanity. And there's just two groups, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life and those who are not. And some of those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, some of them will be at the Battle of Armageddon. Not all of them, right? Some of them have already experienced the first death. And some of them, during the time of the Battle of Armageddon, will be elsewhere. They'll be in, uh, they'll be at the United Kingdom. They'll be in Washington, D.C. They'll be in Texas. They'll be in Ireland. They'll be in Vancouver. So they will be people whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, uh, who were not at the Battle of Armageddon. But this prophecy is talking about those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life who are among the grapes. So we're specifically told about the enemies of God in Israel who are on the opposing side. Okay, now let's continue. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now, this is the last verse uh, that describes the rider of the white horse. So that's our goal today. Make sure we're clear on the identity of the rider of the white horse. It says, on his robe, at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. There it is. There it is. Now, who is the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords? It is Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Now, I think that you already, you already knew who it was. You already perceived that the rider on the white horse described in the seven seals prophecy, described in the marriage supper prophecy here in Revelation chapter 19, I think you already knew that the rider of the white horse was Jesus Christ. But if there was any doubt in my mind, or your mind, or anyone's mind, they can simply, we can simply go to verse 16 of chapter 19. This is the definitive verse. It says, on his robe, at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Prince Charles is not king of all kings. Joe Biden is not Lord of all lords. This is not to diminish their legitimate authority in any way, but it's to communicate that the only king of all kings and lord of all lords is Jesus Christ. He is the only king of all kings and lord of all lords. And I'm doing a search on Bible Gateway to see if we can uh, get a number count, see if we can get a tally for how often this phrase appears in the Bible. And I see here that King of all kings and Lord of all lords appears in Revelation twice, Revelation chapter 17. 
So that's the purple and scarlet prophecy. Here in the marriage supper prophecy and also in First Timothy. Now let's go to First Timothy for a second. First Timothy chapter six verse fifteen. What does it tell us? For at just the right time Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only Almighty God, the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So we're told right here that Christ, who is Christ? Jesus Christ. In verse 14 it says, Then no one can find fault with you from now until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. For at just the right time, Christ, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ, will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God the King of all kings and Lord of all lords. He alone can never die. And he lives in light so brilliant that no human can approach him. Okay, so the identity of the rider on the white horse is surely Jesus Christ. In the marriage supper prophecy, The rider of the white horse, who we have determined is surely Jesus Christ, we are told that he wears a robe dipped in blood. When does he wear this? At the time when he is coming to fight and win the Battle of Armageddon, he wears a robe dipped in blood. We're told that his name is faithful and true. His title is the Word of God. His eyes are like flames of fire. He wears on his head many crowns. He has two weapons with him and for use in the Battle of Armageddon is a sharp sword. He also has an iron rod to rule the nations. Okay, so much about the identity of the rider of the white horse who is Jesus Christ. Now let us hear. We know that he's coming to wage a righteous war. Let's hear the verses that came before this description of Jesus Christ and the verses that come after. So we're going to hear what are they saying in heaven before the battle of Armageddon begins, and then what are they saying? And then what is described to us after we're told that Jesus Christ is there, he has on his outfit, he's leaving heaven, and the armies of heaven are following him, we're going to hear both things. So we started in the middle. We started with who is the uh, rider of the white horse? What's the identity of the rider on the white horse? Now that we know that it's Jesus Christ, surely, let us hear the beginning of this documentary. So before we were told who the rider of the white horse is, verses 6 to 10 gives us some context for it all. Here's what it says. Chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come 
for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Now what did we just hear? We are told it's time for the Battle of Armageddon. Now, where do we hear that? Where do we hear that? Verse 7 says, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now, what's the wedding feast? Stay with me, friend and truth seeker. What is the wedding feast? The wedding is the first resurrection. It's when Jesus Christ, in his glorified, perfected body, which he already inhabits, so he transitioned to immortality when he rose from the dead. And in Revelation chapter 1, we're told he's the firstborn of the dead. At the first resurrection, now we have those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. All of us transition from either mortality uh, to immortality. In other words, those who have died, they put on an immortal body. And those of us who are alive but who are subject to death due to the curse, we will transition in the blink of an eye from mortality to immortality. So both groups, both groups were told in Corinthians and in First Thessalonians, Chapter 4, both groups will uh, participate in the first resurrection. Now, the first resurrection, when all whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life put on a forever body, an immortal body, a glorified body, a peak performance body, a body that will never, ever die, a body suitable for life on this present earth, as well as life on the new earth to come, and life in present heaven. So a body that can be everywhere. And we're going to inhabit that body on this present earth and on the new earth to come. When Jesus Christ gets to be with his forever family in our forever bodies, that is that event. When it happens. That event is the first resurrection, and that's the wedding. That's when he finally gets his bride. He gets his forever family at the first resurrection. The forever family, that includes those who were in heaven but only two in one. They're in, they have their same soul, mind, will, and emotions, and they have their same uh, spirit, but they don't have their incorruptible bodies 
They don't have them yet, so he doesn't have his uh, his forever family 100% yet, and he doesn't have those of us who are here on the earth with him yet uh, in our peak performance bodies, right? So when he gets all of his forever family, the church, the bride of Christ, when he gets all of us, Permanently, when we're in our permanent bodies, our forever bodies, that's the wedding. So the first resurrection is the wedding. After the wedding is the wedding feast. Now that's what we're talking about today, the wedding feast of the Lamb. So, you know, someone sends you an invitation. Someone sends you an invitation And because you have an invitation to the individual's wedding, you're allowed to be there and to be present. Now here verse 9 says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So who's invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb? I believe it includes those who were invited to the wedding. So you go to the wedding and after you go to the Wedding supper, you go to the marriage ceremony after you go to the marriage supper, saying the same thing with different words. You go to the wedding, and after you go to the wedding feast, those who are invited. Now, at the first resurrection, which is the wedding, the wicked are not invited. The tares do not participate in the first resurrection. The tares are also referred to as the bad fish. They are not invited. The goats are not invited. So what am I saying? The tares, that's the group that's not the wheat. The goat, those are the individuals who are not among the sheep. The bad fish are the fish that are not good. Who am I talking about? Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are not invited to the wedding feast. Now it says here, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let me give you a heads up. The wedding feast, we are invited to it because we're told, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. What does this mean? It means all whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, our outfit, Our dress for the wedding feast is the finest of pure white linen. And we already heard that the armies of heaven are dressed in the finest of pure white linen. Hmm. Maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking. Does that mean that the bride of Christ is the group that comprises the armies of heaven? Perhaps. Perhaps. It says here, she has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. Surely that means the bride, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all who have participated in the first resurrection, we are given. Why are we given this? We're prepared to participate in the wedding feast because we have participated in the wedding. And our outfit pure white linen, that's our outfit for both events. I'm not going to go there right now due to uh, 
well, maybe we should go there right now. So when we hear about the wedding, when we hear about the wedding, it's in Corinthians and it's in Thessalonians. I am trying to recall whether we're told about our outfits there. Let's go to it now. First Thessalonians chapter four. First um, Thessalonians chapter four verses fourteen to seventeen tells us about the first resurrection. And uh, maybe an easier way to do this is to put in white linen. See if we can get a search on that. Okay, so we see white linen in Revelation 15. Okay, and we see it, that's the seven plagues uh, prophecy. We see it in Revelation 19 where we are twice. Okay, and we also see it in Esther. Okay, so let's continue where we are. Um, in the marriage supper prophecy, the outfit that the bride of Christ has, we're already dressed. We have been to the wedding. We have participated in the wedding. We have experienced the first resurrection. And now that the wedding has happened, it's time for the wedding feast. And then we're told, uh, now we're, we already heard who the rider of the white horse is. Now let us get to, uh, so we've heard verses 6 to 16 of the marriage supper prophecy. Revelation 19, verses 6 to 16. Now it's time for us to hear, discuss, and analyze the last five verses. Verses 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21. This is it. This is it. So now it's time for us to hear the reality of two things. The reality of the Battle of Armageddon and the cleanup plan for the Battle of Armageddon. So we know from Revelation 14, in the Earth Reap prophecy, in the last two verses, we hear about the fact that juice is going to flow like a wine press at the Battle of Armageddon and that the blood is going to flow for 180 miles. Now, God is a God of order. The state of New Jersey is 150 miles long. Blood is going to flow in the aftermath of this righteous war. It's going to flow a distance that exceeds the entire, the entire diameter of the state of New Jersey. That's incredible. You know, have you, if, think about running a mile. Just thinking about running a mile. So you run a mile and then multiply that times uh, 180, <laughs> and that's how much blood. So if you and I were to walk a mile and every inch of that mile was filled with blood, that would just be a lot to take in. That would be a lot to take in. It would be uh, perhaps stressful, maybe uh, certainly overwhelming for most people. But imagine it, this blood is going to flow not for a singular mile, but 180 miles. Now, 
verses 16 to 21. It's time for us to hear the end of the marriage supper prophecy. Let us hear what John the Revelator was shown in the marriage supper documentary. So he was shown moving pictures with sound. He was shown a movie about the Battle of Armageddon, but it's not a fictionalized account. It is a documentary of future realities. Do you want to know what happens at the Battle of Armageddon and the cleanup plan for it? I want to know. I believe you are a truth seeker, and as a truth seeker, you are interested in hearing the reality of the Battle of Armageddon. How does it end? How does it end? Let us go there together now today. Verse 16 of chapter 19. Here it is. Verses 17 to 21. I mean to say verses 17 and 21 of Revelation chapter 19. John the Revelator says to us, the readers of the book of Revelation, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky. Now let's pause there for a second. So they start off telling us, hey, blessed are those invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the bride of Christ, uh, she's been given her outfit to wear. So all us believers, we're dressed. We're ready for the wedding feast. It's after the wedding. Now it's time for the wedding feast. And all the bride has, uh, each, each, each person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life has his or her outfit. The, the bride in its entirety is dressed in the finest of pure white linen. And now we get to it's time for the wedding feast. But instead of the angel of the Lord saying, uh, come on in, people of God. Come on in, members of the royal race. Saints, it's time for us to eat. He doesn't address, uh, he doesn't address us at all. Instead of addressing the bride, now the angel addresses the vultures. Now think about that. Think about that. Now God has used animals in different places in the Bible, and here it appears that he's going to be using uh, animals again in his wisdom. Remember, God's plans are higher than our plans. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So the angel of the Lord under the inspiration of God the Father, says, then says, uh, quote, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Now, this is very interesting. The vultures are told to come and to gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. So the great banquet is the wedding feast referred to earlier in the documentary. So in the documentary, talking about us, those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those of us who participated in, participated in the actual wedding, the first resurrection. So for those of us participa- who participated in the wedding, um, we were told, Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. 
But now the angel is no longer talking to us. He's talking to the vultures. Let's hear what else he has to say. Um, And also let me mention in verse 7 it says, For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. So in verse 7 it's referred to as the wedding feast of the Lamb. And in verse 17 we're told what the wedding feast is. It is, quote, the great banquet God has prepared. Then verse 18 says, come and eat the flesh of kings. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, it's starting to come together. Come and eat the flesh of kings. Now we understand why the angel's no longer talking to us. Because this great banquet, it's not for humans in terms of dining activities. So certainly Jesus Christ doesn't dine on human flesh. Certainly Jesus Christ, the the, uh, rider on the white horse, is not uh, planning for his bride to dine on, quote, the flesh of kings. Because it says here, come and eat the flesh of kings. So the angel of the Lord has given this instruction to vultures. That's their assignment, not ours. That's their meal, not ours. So the great banquet God has prepared is the wedding feast of the Lamb. It happens after the first resurrection. The bride of Christ, we are dressed for it. We have on the finest of pure white linen. And it says here, the angel of the Lord says, Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now listen to that. Come and eat the flesh of kings. Now, how much flesh is there going to be? You guessed it. There will be 180 miles of blood. And in that blood will be the flesh of what? The flesh of horses and the flesh of who? Kings, generals, and strong warriors and the riders of horses. And of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now remember, at this point, no person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is a part of humanity. We've transitioned from uh, being a part of humanity to being members of the royal race. We have already put on our glorified peak performance bodies. Now, the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, the riders of horses, and of humanity, including uh, humans who are free and slave, small and great. This is not referring to humans everywhere. This is referring to those who are going to die at the Battle of Armageddon. This is referring to the grapes. So remember the grapes are referred to in the earth reap prophecy. That specific subgroup of individuals who are on Team Satan at the Battle of Armageddon. So there's only two teams at the Super Bowl. Now, I'm believing for my team, America's team, to make it to the Super Bowl this year. We'll see what happens. At the Battle of Armageddon, there are only two teams. There's a winning team and a losing team. There's Team Jesus and Team Satan. On Team Satan are the greats. On Team Jesus are God's holy people. Now let's continue. Verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together 
to fight. Now, why are they fighting? Remember, we're told earlier in this prophecy that Jesus Christ is going to wage a war waged in righteousness. And now here we are, verses 17 to 20 war. It's uh, verses 17 to 21. You know, when it's Super Bowl, we say it's game time. It's game time. Well, at the Battle of Armageddon, it's victory time. We're told in the seven seals prophecy that Jesus Christ goes to, that the rider of the white horse, who we now know is Jesus Christ from Revelation chapter 19, we're told that the rider of the white horse goes out to fight many battles and to gain the victory. This is it. This is it. It's victory time. Victory over what? Victory over this earth being run by those who are inspired by Satan, those who have allegiance to Satan, those who carry out the plans, the will, the purposes of Satan. It's victory time. That's what the Battle of Armageddon is. It's at an appointed time, on an appointed day, uh, at a specific and appointed hour, and at a specific location in Israel. Now, it's victory time. Let us hear the details of the victory, verses 19 to 21. So verses 17 to 18 of chapter 19 define specifically and clearly what the wedding feast of the Lamb is and who will dine at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So what it is is a great banquet that God has prepared. Who will dine at the great banquet are the vultures that have been gathered upon the instruction of the Lord. Now, now that we have heard that, let's get to the end of this thing. Let's get to victory time. Have you ever uh, watched the Super Bowl uh, and you had it recorded, maybe you were really excited and you just fast-forwarded to the last five minutes. Okay, so now um, if if you're super excited and you want to fast-forward to the last five minutes of the Battle of Armageddon, you would go to verses 19 to 21. You say, hey, tell me the end of that thing. Let me Let me hear it, see it, read it, know it. Okay, here it is. Beginning with verse 19 of chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. Okay, we're there. We're in Israel at the appointed day and the appointed hour. They are there at the Battle of Armageddon. All the armies. So Jesus Christ on one side riding a white horse. He is the rider of the white horse, and he has heaven's armies. And on the other side, the beast. Which beast is this? There are three beasts, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. In the purple and scarlet prophecy, Satan is referred to as the beast that comes up out of the bottomless pit. In the Antichrist prophecy, Revelation chapter 13, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, the false prophet is referred to as, quote, another beast. And the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. In the purple and scarlet uh, prophecy, the Antichrist is referred to as the scarlet beast. Now here, the Antichrist is referred to as the beast. So the beast and the kings of the world, they're there with their armies. 
Now, different nations will send armies. In Isaiah and Ezekiel, we hear more details about this. Certain nations will send armies, and at the end of Zechariah, we find out that after the, the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, for those nations that sent armies to fight uh, with the Antichrist on behalf of the Antichrist, on behalf of the New World Order, to fulfill the plans, purposes of Satan, that Jesus Christ is going to send back to those nations plagues. Now, during the Great Tribulation, if you are in a nation that allies with the New World Order and they choose to send, uh, you know what, let's pause. Let me stay here where we are. Let's stay here where we are. That's interesting to consider. Even after Jesus Christ fights and wins this battle of Armageddon, he's not done. He sends plagues to those nations that sent armies to try to take Israel out, to take his people out, to thwart his plans and purposes. Okay, let us stay here. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. Let's pause there. Hallelujah. We have fast-forwarded to the end. We are in the, uh, we are in the victory. And the beast was captured. Now, God has five enemies in the chronological order of their destruction. So, in other words, looking at linear time. Looking at linear time, according to the book of Revelation, the first of God's five enemies who will be destroyed is the Antichrist. And we see that right here in the marriage supper prophecy, and the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast, and who worshipped his statue. So this is after the Great Tribulation. After the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of God, I'm sorry, which is the wrath of Satan, let me say that again, after the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, is the wrath of God, which culminates right here with the Battle of Armageddon. And we're told here that during during the rule and reign of the Antichrist, what happened it says, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. So in Revelation chapter 13, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, we hear about the Antichrist and the false prophet working in tandem during the Great Tribulation to carry out the plans and purposes of Satan. And we're told here in the Marriage Supper prophecy, talking about the actions of the false prophet, that he does miracles. When does he do them? During the Great Tribulation. The false prophet does miracles that deceived. When were people deceived? They were deceived during the Great Tribulation, during that three-and-a-half-year period, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now, not everyone's going to accept the mark of the beast. Those who are in Christ, we will refuse the mark of the beast. We will not be deceived. We will not worship the statue of the beast, who is the Antichrist. Now here, we're beyond the three-and-a-half-year Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan. We're beyond the first 
resurrection, we're beyond uh, the first six plagues, and we're at the culmination of the wrath of God, which is the battle of Armageddon. Now, what does the end of verse 20 say? Here it is. Here it is, friend and truth seeker, quote, both the beast, talking about the Antichrist, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's their destruction. That's the second death. Now, if you go to Daniel, we hear about uh, the Antichrist in court. We hear about the Antichrist in court and in heaven. My perception is that both the Antichrist and false prophet, due to the reality that God is a just God, that they both have their cases heard and that once their cases are heard and they're found guilty, that then they go to the lake of fire. However, in Daniel, we're told about the Antichrist in heaven and uh, him and his case, how the book, the books are opened and he's in heaven, talking about, I believe it's telling us there in Daniel about what happens after he and the false prophet are captured. However, uh, here in the marriage supper prophecy, we don't get all those details, but we do get the key details about the battle of Armageddon and its aftermath and the reality that the rider on the white horse, Jesus Christ, is the victor because right here team satan the leadership on team satan that's the antichrist and the false prophet it says both the beast and his false prophet not only are they captured but right here it says both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur so at the battle of armageddon the beast that's the antichrist and the false prophet they are captured and ultimately what happens to them we're told their ultimate fate their ultimate fate is that they are, uh, after being captured, they're thrown into the lake of fire that burns with uh, sulfur forever and ever. Now, we are not told if they're thrown in the lake at the Battle of Armageddon. We're not given the timing of that. But we are told that they are captured at the Battle of Armageddon. Okay. Now, let's hear the final verse. We've heard about victory over the leaders of those on the opposing side at this war waged in righteousness, the Battle of Armageddon. But what about the people in the armies of the Battle of Armageddon? Now, let me say this. All who are the children of Satan, they go to the lake of fire after their father goes. So what do I mean by that? Um, and let me make sure I'm saying that right. The Antichrist and the false prophet, perhaps they are considered children of Satan. They precede Satan, uh, and we're told in the millennial reign prophecy that Satan joins them in the lake of fire a thousand years later. Everyone else, so what do I mean by everyone else? Every person who is neither the Antichrist, the false prophet, nor Satan. So that's the vast majority of people. So everyone who's neither the Antichrist, the false prophet, or Satan, and whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they join Satan, their father, in 
the lake of fire after they have their cases heard. After the dead judge prophecy where the great white throne judgment is described, it would be unjust for a person to be sentenced to be sentenced to prison forever and ever without um, some kind of court proceeding. And in fact, God is a just God. And every person, every person who didn't participate in the first resurrection will have his or her case heard. We're going to talk about it in November when we talk about the dead judge prophecy. However, we know the outcome of all those cases. 100% of those people will be found guilty, and they will join their father Satan in the lake of fire. But right now, at the Battle of Armageddon, after the Antichrist and false prophet have been captured, what happens to those who are in the army, uh, the armies? What happens to the kings and the generals and the strong warriors and the horse, uh, the riders of the horses on the opposing side and other people who are there at the Battle of Armageddon who are Team Satan, who've taken the mark of the beast? It says in verse 21. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Jesus Christ, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, is going to annihilate. He's going to kill every person who's on the opposing side. And then finally, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. So the wedding feast culminates with God's cleanup plan, which is for the vultures to dine on the flesh of the kings, generals, and strong warriors on the opposing side, those who are Team Antichrist, Team Satan, and that is the end of the Battle of Armageddon. The enemies of God have been taken out, and he puts down the government's of men and establishes the kingdom of God. Thank you for being with me and with us. We're going to continue our discussion and analysis of the marriage prophecy. We're going to continue our discussion and analysis on Thursday and next Sunday. Thank you for being with me and with us, friend. Until next Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.